Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast that aims to look at all aspects of our national side. Most recently, we look back on the three games the senior men played. That is still available at threelionspodcast.com and all your usual podcast platforms wherever you may get your downloads from. Now in this episode, we're going to look back on the under-21's dismal European Championship campaign. I'm going to do that with Lauren McCann, writer for the England Academy blog.co.uk. That's coming soon. But first, the Lionesses are in action soon, and Hagarisa has announced a squad of 24. We'll catch up with Rich Laverty in a moment. But first, that second squad, named by Risa on the 30th of March, is as follows. Goalkeepers, Karen Bardsley, Sandy McIver, Ellie Roebuck, Carly Telford. Yes, four of them. Uh, defenders, Millie Bright, Lucy Bronze, Neve Charles, Rachel Daly, Alex Greenwood, Demi Stokes, Millie Turner, Leah Williamson and Lottie Wubamoy. In the midfield, Frank Kirby, Jordan Nobbs, Jill Scotts, who'll be looking to add to her 150 caps. Georgia Stamway, Ella Toon, Kira Walsh and up front, Bethany England, Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly, Beth Mead and Ellen White, who got her very first Lioness's hat-trick in that 6-0 victory over Northern Ireland recently. Those games for the Lionesses are away to France on the 9th of April in Caen and then home to Canada on the 13th of April at Stoke City's ground. And as we always like to do is have a chat about the Lionesses. I'd like to welcome back Rich Laverty. Hi, Rich. Hi, mate. All good? Yep, all good. Thank you. Yourself? Keeping well? Yeah, staying, uh, staying alive. Good stuff. Well, hopefully we haven't got too long to uh, to go before we are back up and running and, and at football very soon. Yeah, hopefully. Hey, Garissa has announced a new squad uh, for these two games coming up away in France and at home to Canada. First thing that immediately struck me, just going through that list there, we've got four keepers, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, England like a keeper. I mm-hmm. think I, it's a really difficult position at the minute for England because... You're preparing for sort of now two different tournaments with two different teams. You know, I kind of expect the the Team GB squad, whilst it won't be all English, it will probably predominantly be English. But you're also preparing, of course, for the Euros, which are now only a year away. You don't usually have major tournaments that are only a year apart. But obviously, the Olympics being kind of a one-off that has thrown up that situation and England are kind of caught between generations at the moment. You've kind of got the the Karen Bardsies, the Carly Telfords, the Jill Scotts, the Ellen Whites, you know, the Steph Hortons, etc., that have been mainstays now for over a decade. And then you've got your Lauren Hemp's, your Chloe Kelly's, your Ella Toons, Millie Turner's, and obviously on the fringes at the moment, you know, the sort of Lauren James's, Ebony Salmon's, etc. Mm. And they probably, I think the the vibe we're getting is sort of they're probably going to lean towards experience for the Olympics and the players that kind of have been there, done that, know what it takes. And at the end of the day, the, the players that qualified us for the Olympics and probably the, the younger ones, bar probably a couple, are probably being looked upon for the Euro. So you're kind of seeing these squads fluctuate now where you know we've sort of seen players now find out, obviously it was well publicised the other week, that 
some players found out obviously they were not on the shortlist anymore for the Olympics and you know obviously Hannah Hampton is the only one publicly we found out about because of the situation that arose with her finding out just before a league game obviously mm. she's now not in the England squad so you kind of look at it and think I don't think she's being punished I don't think it's anything like that I think they're just I think they're prioritising the players that are probably on that shortlist. I think the 35-player shortlist now, I think you're probably looking at the 24 players that are in this England squad, plus probably Nikita Paris and Steph Horton, who are obviously unavailable for one reason or another. And then I think probably the other nine are probably the Scottish and Welsh players. I'd, I'd be very surprised if there's anybody on that Olympic shortlist that's not in this current England squad, unless they're injured or unavailable, like Steph and Nikita are. So I think we're in that period now of going okay well we've got you know the kbs the carly telfords etc they might go to the olympics yes they're not playing much at club level but they have that experience and now your ellie roebucks your mckivers and probably your hamptons as well that are going to be more probably for the european championships the the world cup you know in 2023 so it's a difficult job it's a really difficult job and i appreciate i've given a long answer but i think mm. i think we are probably just Kind of caught, but and people, you know, the same arguments come up every time the squad's announced. Why is she in the squad? Why is she in the squad? Yeah. Why isn't she? There's always a reason. There's always some kind of logic to it. You know, then people used to say this about Hope Powell. People said it about Mark Sampson. People said it about Phil Neville. And now people are saying about Hegary. So when it happens with four consecutive managers, that's not a coincidence. There's some kind of logic going on. These managers think about in terms of why they're selecting a certain player, why they're not selecting a certain player. I never buy into it. It's just or they don't like them, or they don't want yep. them, or they don't rate them. There's always some kind of logic when it happens. With And we're not the only country in the world that does this. I could go through all kinds of countries around the world that don't necessarily select loosely based around just form. So, yeah, a lot of goalkeepers. But I think, I think we are sort of looking at a mixture now of a squad that's being prepared for Team GB and a squad that's being prepared for the next two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned Steph Horton there. She's injured. Um, Nikita Paris, uh, again, in, in a bit of a, a strange situation where it appears that she's readily available to play, but she can't because of the COVID situation at her club, Leon. Is that right? Yeah, obviously France have just gone back into a lockdown. What that yeah. means for potentially the game next well, week, I don't again, know. Again, that was going to be something I was going to say, because the last thing we want to be having is a, uh, another game, unfortunately, yeah, this, this seems to crop up with England more than it does any other country. Maybe we're just really bad at picking opponents. I don't, look, the game's on at the moment. France have yeah. announced their squad, so I don't know whether there's, you know, a, uh, what's the word, you know, but a, a way for, you know, elite sport to carry on. I don't know yeah. what their, their specific protocols are. Um, but yeah, obviously it's not ideal for Keats. And it's tough because with the Olympics, you know, if, if we were preparing for a tournament where it was just England and you had 23 players, you'd probably go, okay, look, Keats will be in. She can afford to miss a few camps. I think right now, though, with it only being 18 players and you're picking from three well, three countries because I think they've confirmed there isn't going to be anybody from Northern Ireland in the squad, it's difficult for Keats now because she's doing quite well for Leon. She's having a better year than she did last year. She's up there as one of the top scorers in the league, sort of up there you know, with, with players like Bunny Shaw and, and Katoto, etc. But she's not being able to be able to be involved in camps. You know, she's not worked with Hega Risa yet and Hega's going to take Team GB. So I think at the moment it's looking very difficult for Keats to be in that Team GB squad because, I mean, I look at the strikers, you know, I look at Beth England, look at Ellen White, look at Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly. I don't think anybody's safe. I really don't think anybody's safe. You know, Beth England's not played that. You know, she's not been a regular starter for Chelsea. Yeah, and you just think, well, if, if we're even question marking her, 
you know, she's in the England squad, you know, it's going to be really tough for Keats. You know, Beth Mead's been in and out. It's absolutely brutal when you're sort of looking at who are these 18 going to be? And like you say, you know, before you even take into account Scotland and Wales, you know, just to drop five or six from the current England squad is tough enough before you take into account the other countries. So, yeah, I mean, it's not obviously Keats's fault that she can't partake in the camps, but it's probably and potentially costing her an Olympic spot at the moment. Yeah, very unfortunate. There's no no Tony Duggan, no Izzy Christiansen, and we mentioned Beth Mead there. She wasn't initially picked for the Northern Ireland game, and I think wasn't it that um, Hagarisa had said that her form wasn't up to it, and then she she found her way um, through through a bit of luck and got herself back in the squad. I think wasn't it for the last game but I mean the likes of Tony Duggan and Nisi Christiansen can they feel a little bit hard done by? Uh, it fluctuates so much at the moment doesn't it I think Izzy yeah. Izzy had a really good run but obviously she'd been out of the England setup for a while and it's very difficult because life moves on so quick you look at the young talent coming through now you look at the players that have worked their way in over the last few years the likes of Lauren Hemp the likes of Chloe Kelly again the likes of Ella Toon you know who all play those attacking positions and Izzy obviously dropped out shortly before the World Cup, again, through no fault of her own, because she got injured in the She Believes. She missed the World Cup, and you know she was at Lyon. She wasn't really playing at club level, and she's come back, and she's done really well. But it's sort of when, just when you drop out, even if you only drop out for a little bit, you know, bang, someone's there. Someone yeah. comes in to take your place. And probably in terms of Izzy Christensen's position, that player is probably Ella Toon in terms of an attacking midfielder. And, you know, Ella's having a great season and it's just difficult. It's the same with Tony Duggan. You know, Tony's always been a little bit unlucky. Like, she always seems to get injured before a major tournament with England and, and that's been kind of like a consistent thing for Tony throughout her career. And again, she's just another one that, you know, she just dropped off the radar a little bit. You know, maybe if she does what Izzy Christensen did, maybe comes back to the WSL next, I think her contract's up at the end of this season. So... And obviously, we probably the COVID situation and the travel problems wouldn't surprise me if Tony did come back to England this summer. And, you know, she comes back and starts, you know, tearing up the WSL. You got every chance of working your way back in. But it's very difficult because, you know, getting injured, or it's not a player's fault, but you miss a few camps. And the depth that England have now, there is someone there waiting to pounce. And if they do pounce and they take their opportunities, like Lauren Hemper's done, like Chloe Kelly's done, like Ella Toon's done... And when you think about, you know, you've got Lauren James still waiting in the wings, you've got Ebony Salmon, you know, the players that are now dropping out, it, it's very hard to see them getting back in unless they're really, you know, absolutely at their very top level. So international football is just, it's its ruthless. It's really ruthless. And to have that kind of depth, you know, that's what we need. That's what yeah. we need with England. You know, we want to start winning tournaments. You know, we haven't been winning tournaments. We keep saying we've had a great, you know, five, six years since the 2015 World Cup, and we have. But we haven't won anything yet. So, you know, trophies count. Trophies count, exactly. And, you know, that's what we, we've got three opportunities now in three years. We've got an Olympic Games, a European Championships, and a World Cup. So, and I think we've got a supremely talented group of young players that are coming through that, that could be, you know, probably the best group coming through since the, you know, the Lucy Bronze group, the Tony Duggan, Jordan Nobbs, you know, et cetera, sort of 10, 11 years ago. And, you know, time doesn't stand still for anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. If, if you're out and you get injured or you're dropped or you're not playing well, you're going to have to do something really special to get back in over this next bunch of, 
you know, the next generation coming through because they are supremely talented players. Exciting times. One thing that, I, that I'd like to bring up, but not maybe spend too long on, the last squad um, where, we, where we beat Northern Ireland 6-0, Enia Luko, former Lioness, she mentioned there was the, the lack of diversity as it only had one non-white player. Now, looking at this squad again, we're, we're in a similar situation. Was, was this sort of issue brought up in your circles? Um, and is it something that Hager Risa has noted? Is, is it important? I mean, of course it's important um, in, in this day and age, but is it, I don't know how to really put it, but is it important? It's definitely important. I, I think the important aspect, like, it's a, I've always found this a really difficult thing to talk about because I'm a white, I'm a white male. You know, I, mm. I, I can't, I can't recognise and, and you know, be in that position. You know, of whether you have those prejudices against you or not, or whether it affects a person's career, a person's life. I don't know. I think the interesting thing for me is, I, I don't think it's about necessarily for look lauren james will play for england for many many years she's very very young there's no need for her to be immensely rushed in there right now so will ebony salmon and obviously you know players like nikita paris and and demi stokes you know have played for england for many years as did enia luco and, and as did leanne sanderson and and nitra sante and, and others before them yeah i think mary philip was the first the first black player to play for england women i, I think what's more interesting is i look at the men's side and I think you know there's a there's a real uh, be probably quite level. I'd have to look at the squad, but there's a lot of you know black players in the men's squad. And I think does that go down then to maybe the opportunities they're getting as children, you know, as youth team players in their local areas, you know, the demographics are there the same opportunities maybe for girls, yeah. you know, of, of and are we getting them through the system? You know, it's not a case of, I, I think once they get to this level, if they're good enough, they'll play. It's, for me, there's not as many coming through. I, I, there's not, you know, I look at the youth team squads, it's the same. You know, in the men's, there's a lot more than there is on the women's side. And I think actually, I, I think the issue we should be looking at is not necessarily why are they not getting in the first team squad. I think is we need to look way past that down to grassroots level and why are they not getting the opportunity because there's obviously not as many coming through. You, like you said, that the whole of the last squad, until Ebony Salmon was called in late on, it was a completely white squad. But I don't think that's a case of, oh, Hegarisa comes in and you know doesn't no. want to pick Blackpool. There's no reason on earth for Hegarisa to want to come in and do that. I think the problem is there's not enough to choose from. Yes, there are some. You have Ebony Salmon coming through. You have Lauren James coming through. You have Rinzola Babajide, and I'm sure you know those players will play for England, and, and probably a couple of them will play for England for many, many years. It's why are there not many coming through the system? I think for me, I think if we're looking at the first team, I don't think we're addressing the issue. I think we need to be looking 10, 15 years you know, previous in their careers to say, are they getting the opportunities to put them in a position to go and be England internationals? Because they did, you know, the likes of Asante and Aluko and Sanderson, you know, they would have come through at roughly the same time. I think Nikita Paris and Demi Stowers came through roughly at the same time. I think we seem to have them come through in patches, but I, I do think it's more an issue of opportunity, you know, at young ages, whether it's sport clubs, schools, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the issues, you know, in, in those areas. And so it's it's hard for me to have a real sort of reasoned view on it, but I do think it is 
I think generally we need to look at when they're youngsters and whether they're getting the opportunities or not. Um, I don't believe that you know a manager would come in and say, "Well, I'm not going to pick them because of their skin color." You want the best players, and like I said, if Lauren if Lauren James doesn't get a hundred caps for England in her career, I'll be stunned. You know, whatever skin color, it's probably the same with Ebony Salmon, depending yeah. on her next move this summer and where she goes. If she ends up at a top club, whether here or abroad, and and she hits it off, she'll be a regular for England for many years. England have got no reason to not want those players because. Ebony Salmon, I think, is on a or can be on a similar level to the likes of Hemp Kelly. I think Lauren James is, and I think I've said this before. She is a generational talent. There's nobody else like her out there. She's that. She just has that natural ability, and you know, people go, "Oh, she should be in it now." I think there's progressively more of an argument for it. You know, I remember people saying when she was in the championship with Man United, she should be in there. I didn't believe that was right at the time I think she was only 17 she was playing in the second tier you know I think we had to see how she matured in the top division and she's done that incredibly well she is still very very young I still don't believe there is any reason to rush her but the way she is playing I don't think she's got any chance at the Olympics I don't even think she'll be in the 35 but I think we are seriously looking at the possibility now that after the Olympics Lauren James has to be in the England squad on a permanent basis working towards the Euros, if that doesn't happen, then yes, I think you have to ask some questions about what's going on, why are they not getting the opportunities. Uh, but I've got absolutely zero doubt that it will because she's just too good not to be there. Um, but yeah, it, it's a difficult one. It, it's a tough one, you know, but it is something I think we need to talk about because I, I do think somewhere down the line there's a blockage somewhere that they're not getting the, the opportunities to come through like you see in, in the men's game. And I think that's something probably on the women's side that right back to grassroots, we need to we need to work on. Yeah. OK, well, we'll we'll keep tabs on that. We'll keep an eye on that one. I'm sure it will sort itself out um, as it goes along. So there's no reason, as you say, the likes of Lauren James um, can't make her way in and, and be a regular. And you, and you said it there, 100 caps. Uh, the one thing you didn't say, though, was you'd eat your hat. I was kind of hoping that you we might have a photo of you maybe eating a hat. <laughs> But uh, oh, I think I mean hundred caps. How old? Oh, do you think I'll, Twitter will still be around when Lauren <laughs> James gets hundred caps? Depends how quickly she goes through them. If we'll it was Ameri- if it was America, I mean you get hundred caps in about three years if you play yeah. for the US. <laughs> well, something a little bit more more positive. These two upcoming games, France and Canada, will be shown uh, on BBC Four for viewers and something that's that's happened i think since we last spoke is this large deal that's happened for women's football on tv the bbc and and sky sharing this package it's a good thing isn't it oh it's great it's absolutely great and you know i think it had been kind of well rumored for a while that you know sky were coming in i think the scope of it probably didn't hit anybody until we kind of had the media call with the fa and and sky about it the other week and the fact they're actually putting it, you know, front and central. It's going to be on Sky Sports main event, Sky Sports Premier League, and obviously with the BBC, it's going to be on BBC One and Two, or predominantly most of their games are going to be on BBC One and Two. It makes a huge difference because you know BBC can show games, or if it's on the website or iPlayer or Red Button, it's still a little bit out of this behind the curtain kind of thing and you know bbc one bbc two you know it's front and center of, of their main of the two main terrestrial channels so and you know i think generally probably most sports fans 
I would say probably have Sky Sports probably more than maybe they have BT. Maybe I'm just going off myself because I have Sky and not BT. I don't know. But yeah, it's great. You know, and aside obviously from the extra promotion and the publicity of being on, you know, two of the main sports channels in the in, in the UK, it's just the money, you know, the money coming in. And I, I don't think it'll be extravagant amounts. I don't think it'll be, I think once you take a few bits out, cover the costs of games and things like that, I think the clubs would probably get a little bit less than maybe people have spe- speculated. But I really hope it it helps, you know, the Birmingham's, the Bristol's, etc. And, and the championship as well, you know, a little bit is going to filter down to the championship and I think there's some clubs in the championship that definitely need it so you know I, I said this the other week you've seen women's football there's always something to be negative about there's always a negative con- connotation to something but I don't really think you know I've seen some people say you know you know maybe it'll detract fans away from games you know I, but I don't think it will I think you know, if you if you have a, a passion and a culture for going to games you're going to go to games come what may but I think if it gets it out to more people on the main channels and it gets the clubs, uh, you know, extra revenue. I don't think you can complain about it. I think it's a great thing for the sport. Absolutely. Uh, And then finally, with these two games, I know they're both only friendlies against France and Canada. Can we win them both? Uh, We can. I I think they've got a good chance. At the end of the day right now, it is just about getting games. We've had so few, you know, we talked about it last time. The Northern Ireland game being the first game for a year, it's good to be playing more competitive games. It's a little bit of a shame that France are missing a few players because of obviously Leon's COVID situation at the moment. So there's no Wendy Renard, there's no uh, Amel Majeri, Cascarino, Grigian Box got a long term injury, but it's still a good team. You know, they've got uh, the front three of Diani, Katoto, and La Sommer. They've still got Amadine Henri. So, you know, it will be a good test. Canada will be interesting because. They're always tricky to play against. I would say they're never the most exciting team to watch, but they have good players. And obviously they're coached by Beth Priestman now, who is obviously England's assistant under Phil Neville. So, yeah, it's just it's competitive games. That's what they need. Obviously, they're friendlies and everyone has their own priorities, but England just need games. So we, obviously we hope the France game goes ahead. Um, obviously nothing's been said yet. There it isn't, and France have announced their squad, so it, it looks like they're planning for it. Hopefully Canada can come over here, obviously, a few days later. So, um, yeah, and then I think that will be it until, obviously, they ha- they become Team GB in the summer and, and have a warm-up game. We still don't know who that's going to be against, but uh, it's fast approaching, hopefully. And I, don't think, I still don't think we've had any confirmation the Olympics are actually going ahead, but, you know, hopefully uh, they will. It'd be a bit of a... A letdown after all this time and all this speculation. It, yeah. <laughs> I, if they don't go ahead, I hope they release the squad anyway because I think it'll it'll play on my mind for the next fifty <laughs> years of who would be in it. We've we've done so many yeah. predicted squads over the last eighteen months now before it originally got postponed. You know, uh, I want to know who was going to be in it because uh, it'd be one of life's great letdowns if we never find out. Well, uh, yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. And, uh, yeah, and wish England all the best for these upcoming games. Rich, thank you very much for your time, as always. No problem, mate. Time to move on to the under-21s. Unfortunately, uh, we went into the game against Croatia having to beat them by two. 
and hope Portugal defeats Switzerland. It's not an ideal scenario, relying on results elsewhere. As we previously lost to Switzerland and we previously lost to Portugal, we went two up. And then Croatia scored in the last minute to knock England out. As Portugal, as I say, they put three past Switzerland. It was all going our way until that last minute. Uh, it's time to cover it. Um, I'd like to welcome to the podcast writer for englandacademy.blog.co.uk. I'd like to welcome Lauren McCann. Hello, Lauren. Hi. Welcome along. Thanks very much for having me. Um excited it's very topical debate at the minute the under 21s <laughs> isn't it yeah and not for the first time really just maybe it's the first time that we've spoken maybe just introduce yourself tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so I'm Norma Khan and as you say I write for the England Academy blog and I'm based in Northern Ireland you can probably tell from the accent um, I'm a student in a minute and yeah just like covering the under 21s and the Euros and we've done the previous pieces on just how they're getting on in the Premier League and abroad so yeah enjoying it yeah, it's really good. It's great to see England finally producing so many great talents coming through. We're producing the talent, we're just not producing the results, <laughs> are we? Yes, I say we we lost to Switzerland in the first game, which which was quite an unfortunate goal. It's it's a little bit deflected, looped over Ramsdale. Then we we lost to Portugal, where was a slightly debatable penalty. I guess it was a penalty, really. It was in the box, but it was very. Very uh, sort of touch and go. And then that last game against Croatia. We win a game, but we still go out in a heartbreaking fashion in the last minute. On on the face of it, who do we initially blame? Is it the players or is it manager A.D. Bouvroy? Because he's he hasn't really done himself many favours over the past few years, has he? No, you know, this is like the third kind of time England have fallen at the Euros. Obviously, the first time it was penalties and then the last two times disappointing group stage exits. And, you know, he, he hasn't really helped himself with his, with his comments this week, obviously saying, you know, his job's to bring the players through for the senior side. But I think in this tournament, he definitely had enough talent. You know, most of those players are playing regularly in the Premier League. They had enough to get through that group. And the really disappointing thing was, you know, they had so many attacking players, you know, the likes of Smith Rowe, Eddie and Kelly at the top goal score and under 21s for England and they didn't have a sniff. They didn't have a shot on target until the third game. And, you know, you do have to point fingers at Boothroyd, the tactics he kind of employed, you know, the first game against Switzerland, playing with the five at the back, um, kind of shoehorn. Dwight McNeil in the left wing back, a position he's not really used to, and then playing with the two deep line players in um, Skip and Tom Davis, and leaving out Curtis Jones and Eze, who have been really impressive in the Premier League. You do just kind of wonder, you know, was that really the right mentality to go into a game? You know, the first group game, and you're thinking you need the win here to set you off well for the tournament, and you go in in kind of a defence minded state it wasn't really the start England wanted and you know they just looked disjointed and then the second game he did change it up a, wh- a bit and went to the fourth the back but again no Eze no Jones and I don't think it's a surprise that when they came in in the final game England really started to show some flair and creativity in the final third. No you're absolutely right you, you mentioned Adi Buford there made um, an excuse that uh it was in between the Portugal game and before the Croatia game that he said it was utterly impossible to win anything with the under-21s and that they were providing players for the senior team. He he shouldn't be making comments like that publicly. Um, I mean, he may be able to say that to his superiors at the FA, but that shouldn't be coming out in the public domain, should it? 
No, definitely not. And as I've said before, you know, even though some of his players are away, you know, you still had the quality there. Okay, maybe not to go on and win it because obviously the likes of maybe France and Spain may take the tournament a bit more seriously, you know, dropping down players that might be up in the senior squad for the under 21s for the purpose of winning the tournament. But, you know, they had the quality to get out of that group and comments like that, you know, what does it do to the players that are with them? You know, what are they thinking? Are they not good enough for the setup? You know, and Obviously, it has worked. You know, the pathway is there for some of the players that he's had before. You've seen most of them progress, but still, it's really disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole squad, but there are there were players, Aaron Ramsdale, Cessin Young's Curtis Jones, you mentioned, Tom Davis, Ryan Brewster, Eddie Nketiah, Emil Smith-Rowe, Mason Greenwood. These are all players that, as you say, are playing Premier League football. They are They are more than capable of going through to the knockout stages in my opinion i mean or perhaps is that just a uh, is that just an arrogant english <laughs> opinion of mine uh, no i don't think so i completely agree that they had enough to get through and i think if the system kind of had been set up that they were going to go out and attack you know they had so that was the big thing coming into the tournament you know everybody's really excited about just the abundance of quality there was further up the pitch and you know even at the back defensively solid the likes of Gohey and Godfrey have had really good seasons but they just looked really shaky and you know people were saying he was trying to play out from the back but was that worked on enough you know the players just anytime they were pressed they were giving the ball away and it it just looks so disjointed and you know they had time to prepare before but it seems like they went into the first game with the five at the back and then he abandons that straight away for the next game and it you just do wonder, you know, what was going on behind the scenes and just it just was so disjointed throughout and no shot on target until the last game, you know, as you said, with Premier League players, it's just inexcusable, really. Yeah. And and some would say this maybe have been coming. There were, people may remember there was the three all draw. Uh, I think it was with Andorra. I think it was it was the back end of last year, I think. And and AD Bouffard, his former Watford Coventry manager, he's had experience top level. He's worked his way through the England youth teams as well, uh, the 19s, the 20s, and he's been in charge of the 21s since 2016. He actually replaced Gareth Southgate, so the FA possibly initially had visions that he could work his way up and, and go through the system, and he did win the 2018 Toulon tournament, but as you say, we, we've lost and gone out of the group stages the last tournament, 2019. We lost to France, Romania, um, and then we drew with Croatia back then. And the players back then he had were immense. They were, I mean, we had the Dean Hendersons, Phil Foden, Mason Mount, Calvert Lewin, Tammy Abraham. These were players that have gone on to further their England career, but perhaps. I don't want to be the one to to say he can't, but maybe he's not the man to be doing this for England at youth level. Yeah, really, really, I do have to agree with you there because, you know, in the qualifying, it was almost faultless performance. I think England only dropped two points, but then they freeze in the big stage again and the players are there, the talent is there. It's evident for everybody to see, but it's just not coming together. And I think when it comes to that, you know, you could have given maybe the 2019 tournament, but now, you know, this tournament he was going and he really had the win and just even to get out of the group stage would have been an improvement on the last one. But to fall again, you know, in such disappointing circumstances, you know, at least the England of 2019 scored a few goals and we had 
we have two, but you know, it just it wasn't enough. And leaving it down to the final game in Croatia, and she said, relying on other results as well, it was always a dangerous game to play. So I do think questions really do have to be asked, and whether he will continue, it will be really interesting to see. And I believe, uh, you might have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe his contract is up at the end of um, when this tournament will finish because it's a, a split tournament. They've played this group stage and then obviously because of COVID, the, the knockout stages are end of May, beginning of June. So I think his contract ended or is going to end end of June time. I personally can't see that the FA are going to renew that. I mean, at the time we're speaking, he is still in a job. What What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, you know, he can't continue after another failure at a major tournament. And the question will be, where do they go from here? You know, they promoted from within last time with Boothroyd stepping up to the under-21s. Are they going to do the same again or are they going to recruit from outside? You know, I heard a lot of people saying Steve Cooper would be their ideal replacement, but obviously I don't think he's going to leave Swansea when he's got them in such a good position. And many feel letting him go was a big mistake from... Um, the FA obviously worked wonders at the Under-17 World Cup winning it. Now the players that he ha- kind of had then are coming through now. But I think that would be a backward step for him. So, yeah, I don't know who's n- going to put their name in the hat, but they are going to get a talented group of players and maybe, you know, a fresh outlook going into the next qualifying campaign and they can really start to fulfil their potential on the international stage before then stepping up to the senior side. Yeah, just on a in an immediate level that I thought I mean Frank Lampard is obviously out of a job had previous England experience Eddie Howe has been touted as a future England manager was at Bournemouth um, is currently out of job as far as I'm aware both of those could seriously come in and impose their thoughts and ideas and visions to an England youth team with the vision with the view to maybe taking that top job at England yeah, I, I do like the suggestion of Frank Lampard. I saw that recently linked as well. And, you know, he worked wonders at Chelsea with the young players. And, you know, certainly probably know the youth system as well, the Chelsea players then coming through up into the under-21. So I think he would be a really good appointment. You know, he kind of has a point to prove now as well. And the way he likes to play football, I think, would really fit the style of the England players. And he gives young players such confidence that he would be a really great appointment. Eddie Howe too, you know, another one who kind of has a point to prove. But I think... At the moment, he's being tentatively linked to Celtic, so I'm not sure how much the FA will be able to persuade him. I think he's still intent on club management. But yeah, Frank Lampard, I don't know, again, if he would be open to the offer, but certainly, you know, if the FA want to go appointment from within and, you know, after Southgate, maybe Lampard will look at it as following the same sort of path that Southgate did. But I definitely do think he could be an interesting appointment and he could probably get the best out of the young players there. Oh, it's a, uh, it's an interesting one to to watch. I mean, with the under twenty ones, I I've said it before. Um, I've maybe I'm maybe I'm out of touch, but I've always kind of been of the opinion that players like Jude Bellingham, Phil Foden, should be used in these tournaments to give them the tournament experience, to give them the exposure before they move on to the seniors. But <laughs> clearly, they are more than capable. Of, of going through and being part of the senior team as, the, as they've shown us. But the players that we've got that were part of this 21 team, who comes away with any credit? I mean, immediately I think Ramsdale 
was, I mean, okay. The the first goal that went over against Switzerland was deflected over him. He couldn't really do a great deal about that. But some of the shots he saved, he, he had, a, had a fairly decent tournament and, and surely is one for the future. But who else can come away with some credit? Yeah, I agree with Ramsdale. You know, he's had a really difficult season as well with Sheffield United and to come and produce the performances he did. It was a real good show of his character, you know, to be able to bounce back. Um, I thought Oliver Skept as well was mightily impressive. You know, England were coming, a lot of attacks were coming through the centre of the pitch and he did well in breaking up play and then releasing players further forward. So I was a big fan of his. Um, Eze and Jones, when they both came on, you know, they added that bit of creativity, that injection of pace, the ability to drive at players going forward. So I think that kind of quartet were the ones to come away with credit. We we have got players there that can make the uh, the step up to the seniors soon. But do you think some of these players should have the tournament experience, the likes of Bellingham and uh, and Foden, or, or do you think we can we're in a position where we can pop them into the first team and they're fine? Um, I think Phil Foden definitely. I think he's he's ready for the first team now, and you know he's shown in his games for the England senior team that he kind of belongs there. I do, you know, I see the logic of bringing Bellingham in and kind of betting him in. Um, and considering he's been exposed, you know, first team football in the Champions League, he does kind of come with that pedigree. But, you know, the likes of Spain and France, they did drop some of their players down to the under 21s just to bring them through that tournament. And I definitely think, you know, Bellingham, he didn't feature in the qualifiers. So I think obviously it was a good experience for him to go up and be training with the first team. But I definitely think he could have been utilised really well in the under 21s. You know, he only came in for his under 21s debut near the end of the campaign. And even then, you know, he scored and he was really impressive. So I definitely think they could have made use of a player like him. But I think Phil Foden, you know, he's already established himself and establishing himself in Man City. You know, it's no main feat either. So I think he was definitely ready and he did have the previous experience of the 2019 Euros as well. So I think he was ready for the step up. Yeah, perhaps perhaps I'm just a little bit uh, old school and... uh, (laughs) I don't know. Well, certainly I wouldn't make a uh, a decent England manager, put it that way. <laughs> um, so don't put me in the frame for the uh, for the new job. Lauren, thank you very much for uh, for giving it giving your insight into the tournament. From what you've seen of it and the the knockout stages coming end of May, beginning of June, can you see a a winner for it? Yeah, I think France are shaping up really well and, you know, they have an abundance of quality, you know, right from the first team right down through the ranks. So I think they'll definitely be ones near the top, you know, Spain as well, I've been impressed with. So I think the bigger nations are going to go further in the tournament as they always do. Yeah, we, we shall watch this space. Yeah, I should think both of them have got huge pedigree with with winning tournaments at both senior and, and youth level as well. Yeah, as I say, thank you very much. You're on Twitter and and that side of things. So if you want to give yourself a, a plug, if people want to follow you, yeah. So it's Lauren Underdash McCann Seven on Twitter, and for our England, it's England Academy on Twitter. Lovely. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much to Lauren there. I hope you enjoyed that. As she mentioned, you can find her on Twitter, as you can Rich Laverty too. And as I'm sure as time goes on, we will speak with both again in the not-too-distant future. 
Thank you as always for listening. My name is Russell Osborne and this is the Three Lions Podcast. You can listen again to previous episodes at threelionspodcast.com or your usual podcast provider. The show is also on all the usual social media platforms. Just give it a search and give it a follow. Plenty more recordings to come. In fact, stay tuned later this week as I'll be speaking with someone who actually won the Under-21s European Championships tournament from quite a while back. Uh, He also worked with Bobby Robson, Terry Venables, Glenn Hoddle, Kevin Keegan and Sven-Goran Eriksson. Who is it, you ask? You'll have to tune in and find out. Or you can subscribe and you won't miss it. So until then, look after yourself. Stay safe. Cheers. <laughs>